a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Welcome, welcome, friends. Howdy. We're in June now. Gosh, we're in June. Wow. It has really come quickly. <laughs> we're just flying. If uh, if this is your first time here, welcome. Uh, we always start a show with talking about the drinks we're drinking. And Josh, you and I famously have gone back and forth on the, the better and best LaCroix flavors now. Yep. Yes, we have. It has been a very hot theological topic recently. So I have to tell you, <laughs> I just recently found a case of Lemoncello LaCroix at the store Ooh, okay. that I had oh. never tried before previously. So I had one yesterday and I'm enjoying one today and I have an updated ranking for my favorite flavors. Oh, please <gasps> share. Coming in at number one is still Key Lime. Yep, that is correct. Okay. And here's the upset. Because I still think hibiscus is number two. Lemoncello is number three. Ayo. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yep. I approve. <laughs> Emily agrees. Thank you. Heck I'm glad yeah. it made top three. I'll take it. It is top three for sure. I think it ousted the uh, like raz cranberry flavor. Yeah. I really oh, like yeah. that one. So you're just drinking like straight lemoncello LaCroix. Yes. That's what I'm here for today. Okay. At some point you should try like real lemoncello, like the Italian drink, because if you like the lemoncello LaCroix, you will love the real deal. Delicious. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny that you mentioned uh, lemoncello because I made myself a cocktail with lemoncello, the LaCroix. Ooh. It is some of this uh, gin that I have that's very botanically and it's delicious and some lemoncello and some lemon juice and some rosemary and some espresso. Ah, there's Ooh, the mm -hmm. nice. And it's mm -hmm. really good. So I really made up like a like a take on a coffee gin and tonic. And it's it's yeah. very good. I did AeroPress, so not quite espresso, uh, even though I do have an attachment for it. And I used a Congolese coffee oh. from here in Seattle. Oh. And it's really good. Like I can taste the rosemary and it just like gels together. I looked at a couple recipes and just kind of threw it all together and I'm really pleased. I'm going to totally do it again. Impressive. I love it. That sounds so delicious. What are you drinking, Emily? Mm. You know, it's a busy, busy time to be a pastor, even with Holy Week and Easter being done. Uh, this is the time of year where for some reason everything just likes to hit the fan. And so I needed a little pep in my step. And so I made, get this, I made myself an Italian cream soda. Nice. Uh, I had the stuff to make it and it's pomegranate. And it's exactly what I needed to add a little spring into my day. And it's delicious. Right on. 
Italian soda. Man, we used to make those in high school, remember, on, during we lunch breaks? We were the best ones. When we were working the coffee cart, we were the best pair because A, the cash register was always on, never was it off, and Stephen always made the best drinks, and he made it the quickest. So everyone was able to get to class on time, and we were able to get drinks, and it, we were the best pairing, for sure. Yeah. Do you like, guys know about Red Bull Italian sodas? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, they're huge out here. It's wild. Huge. Hmm. Pretty good, honestly. I don't hate them. Anyway. <laughs> All right. I've been thinking about this for a while, especially after our last episode we called Doomed to Deconstruct. And I've, I'm still thinking about deconstruction. I'm also still thinking about like our habits uh, from mm. a few episodes ago. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I've really come to enjoy the concept of thought habits, like the way we habitually think about things, you know, on a topical basis or just like the way we'll make a logical argument or something like that. Mm. Oh, interesting. So I'm kind of thinking there's a there's a lot here that I think we could go toward, but I kind of want to dwell on today this idea of like our thought habits and also what it means when Jesus asks us to repent especially given the Greek word metanoia basically means like change your mind or mm-hmm. like rethink things mm. or change the way you think. It, that just feels like a fascinating idea to me, especially when it's paired with the conversations we've been having around like deconstruction as a concept is like, it feels like deconstruction is almost in its own way, like a metanoia or changing our minds. But I'm also I'm also thinking about the way that sometimes it doesn't feel like we do deconstruction. It feels more like deconstruction happens to us. Right. Oh. You know? I I knew about the word metanoia. I didn't know that it could be translated as changing your mind. Does that track, Emily? It does track. Yeah. So, like, it would be accurate to translate the passages where Jesus is saying repent to Jesus is telling them change your mind. Yeah, basically. That is really interesting. And the way I've been thinking about that is, like, saying repent for the kingdom of God is at hand is like set up your thinking life in a way that categorically like makes room for the kingdom of God. Cause it's happening no matter what, mm. mm-hmm. whether you are prepared for it or not, it is happening, but he's asked, he's inviting us into, to me, what feels like a headspace to then like see the kingdom of God at hand. Mm. I kind of want to just like dive into that the the question because josh i think you've spoken this spoken to this before but do you think deconstruction you know in our theological lives do you think it it's something we choose or do you think it's something that happens to us i would argue that it's something that we experience from external yeah from mostly external but but i do think that there is a, a certain amount of like internal like lean in into it. Like for instance, like I definitely have friends who could not be bothered by theological questions, but it, to me, it seems like a very conscious choice to just like not engage with complex or not even complex, but just like even light forms of debate. Like some Christians think this, some Christians think that like, where are you? And they're just like, I don't know. I just follow Jesus. Like there's, there's just like a refusal (laughs) to engage with any sort of critical thought. So like, I do think that there is, like some internal choice to be had mm. in like leaning into questioning and 
in doubting and falling down the rabbit hole as it is. But I don't know. I feel like it, it's almost like uh, maybe like a 75-25 kind of thing. Like if you're not exposed to people who think differently or if you're like not even aware that there's other interpretations out there, like you have no reason to fall down the rabbit hole of like, well, what about this and what about that? And who has a vested interest in this opinion? Mm. So I, I do think it's something that we experience, but I do think that there is a bit of choice in it. But I really like your point about like thought patterns because like right off the bat, you've got me thinking about like cognitive bias and Mm. cognitive behavioral therapy, which are definitely like modern concepts um, that Jesus was not talking about per se. But like the fact that like he's using a word that means like change your mind, that's really interesting to me because I think your connection to like habitual thought is really fascinating because I think it is really easy to just get trapped in. or not even trapped in, but just like ingrained in the habit of thought and thinking one certain way and interpreting everything through that lens and structure. Yeah, right. What do you think, Emily? You know, just looking at uh, my concordance for that word, there's this line in here I really like. It means to literally think differently afterwards. So there's a lot of like reflection in repenting and repent. And I think with habitual thinking, we don't have that reflection because we just we're prone to whatever it is that we're thinking. Like we don't actually take the time to step back and to dissect or to understand or make sense. And I think that reflection is a huge step in the repent, the the thinking afterwards, you know, to change what you think after the fact like they they're not anticipating you do it beforehand Mm. so i think deconstruction is perfect because that means something has happened something in your faith has changed and now after that fact you get a chance to think differently you get a chance to dissect it and to reflect with it and i think that is important for us to remember that it is an after thing it's not a before it's it doesn't happen before whatever happens it's what it's after the fact you know what that makes me think of is that i feel like a lot of christians talk about repentance as it's not just a one time thing like you should continually repent of your wrongdoing and like where you fall short uh whether that's like in regards to your theology or your actions or your marriage or whatever but like in the context of repentance meaning changing your mind and ideology and theology, I feel like uh, a lot of the Christians will not have that mindset of like you should continually being changing your mind. Like I think that a lot of people have like a, a more or less a black and white view that's like you should change your mind from A to B. And once you've changed your mind to B, you don't need to consider changing your mind anymore because you've got it. Versus like maybe Jesus is trying to argue, no, you should be constantly changing your mind not like flip-flopping but like like you're always learning more so there's always more to be like transformed in your thoughts kind of thing i don't know i feel like that's kind of interesting that like those two like the the dichotomy of like (laughs) christians continually calling for repentance but not a continual changing of your mind yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and i think even in the classic context, I think growing up of thinking of repentance as like turning away from sin, right? Of like a 180, I used to look at porn a lot and now I don't. 
and that was repentance. Even then, I feel like repentance happening at the level of the mind rather than action Mm. is more meaningful, even with that example, right? Like I think about, right, like through, through high school, I mean, struggling with looking at porn was certainly a thing for me as it is a pretty common experience with American teenagers. But when I, as I was getting older and I was being introduced to ideas of like human trafficking and abuse and like the, the definitely the darkness inside that industry, it was like uh, something changed my mind in such a way where like seeking out pornography then wasn't even desirable because something had thoroughly convinced me that these are people who are hurting Hmm. and being exploited and being hurt. And that, that changing of my mind is what on the outside, it's like, Oh yeah. I mean, just Steven does not look at porn much, if at all compared to a time before that, but it was still a change. Like something changed my mind about what was happening on the screen or behind the scenes as it were to actually get me there. I feel like that's a really good point about repulsion or like disgust. Like I think a lot of people Mm. do end up like agreeing with, uh, I'm trying to think of another example. I was going to say moral arguments, but I don't think it's always moral arguments, but I I think that a lot of people accept more emotional arguments over logical arguments. A lot of the time. Mm. Um, I think, I think like porn industry is a great example or like for instance, the, the pro-life movement, honestly uses a lot of like imagery and emotional argumentation Mm -hmm. to like argue for certain viewpoints which i so i think that's really common with like life and death issues and human bodily issues like steven you mentioned like human trafficking but i'm also reminded of i was trying to find the the name of the podcast but i can't remember if it's from uh no stupid questions or freakonomics but a while back they had this episode about Uh, like the science of changing your mind. And one of the things that was brought up in the episode was the example of the industry of whale blubber just falling flat. And it wasn't because of moral outcry. It wasn't because of like people decrying the abuse of whales. It was just because that coal processing got way cheaper. So it was like no longer economic to use whale blubber like it had been before. And if I remember right, I think the episode was like going into like the future of uh, meat and farming and stuff like that and like they were making the argument that like we're not going to guilt the world into becoming vegan like what's going to change the world in the way that we look at and consume meat is probably going to be price Mm. Uh, and what I think is interesting Mm. about uh, like the um, this is kind of a (laughs) stretch (laughs) but what I think is interesting about the emotional argument is it seems like a cheaper argument almost in that it's like simpler, like it's really hard to argue against emotional arguments. Right. And I'm not, I don't, I'm not really sure what I'm getting at there, but like, (laughs) I was just reminded that it can be really difficult to change your mind, especially when like what you see is the best option or like the lesser of two evils. I feel like with the emotional arguments for people who try to negate or not follow through, (sighs) You're you're almost putting a stamp on your face of like, yeah, I'm I'm not human. I'm heartless. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's why it's so easy to use emotional tactics is because 
who in their right mind would not? Oh, you know, the the sad music and whatever the case may be. I feel like for people who don't either agree or attach to an emotional stance on something, then it's easy for them to have this target on them of, oh, well, they're like a sociopath. Like they can't, they don't feel, they're incapable of feeling what's wrong with you. And then there comes the guilt. And I'm curious to know if guilt is overused. And I think, Josh, like what you were just talking about is perfect. So in the case of theology, I'm certain that we have plenty of examples of people trying to teach us things, maybe based on guilt, that we've left behind. But in the realm of theology, it's not always right. It's not necessarily price that is the right alternative. Right. Making the switch from whale blubber to coal. But so what are those alternatives, though, that have... Because some people would look at people like you and me, Josh, and say, we're led astray, right? Mm. Totally. By some alternatives to the theologies that they think are correct and right. But what do you think... What what was that alternative or what what lured us in this direction over that direction, you know? Hmm. That is a really good question. I don't know. And do you think it's God <laughs> as God's like, self that does that? Yeah. Like part of me wants to say I was motivated by like wanting to get rid of like incorrect or bad or harmful theology. Yeah like coming to understandings that were more in line with the person that I see in Jesus. And I think maybe that's what started things for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Cause like, I don't think I've ever felt incentivized to change a belief. Oh, like no one, no one ever like waved a 20 at me and they were like, don't believe in demons anymore. And I was like, deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and I feel like in some ways, maybe it's like, Actually, uh, going along the same lines as incentives, maybe for me, it's kind of been what psychology calls negative reinforcement. Like there was no longer an incentive for me to believe in something. Like, for instance, I think a lot of church communities, very naturally, there is a social pressure for you to conform to belief, whether that comes in the form of like signing the belief statement for membership or just like because everything like everyone is saying the exact same thing so that there's just like a social pressure to conform and like not push back, um, not offer a different perspective. And in like the social arena, that can be extremely incentivizing, like whether or not you're conscious of it. And then I feel like there are incentives in some ways for believing in certain theologies. I'm trying to think of a good example off the top of my head. Like I was trying to think of one that was related to like believing in demons. Actually, uh, uh, one example I have is like, believing in demons and spiritual warfare and beings fighting it out over human society does have a lot of explanatory power. Like it does really help cut out like God and the problem of suffering. And it provides a framework for understanding why there's so much conflict among humans. Mm. And I think that that explanatory power really gives a lot of, to your point, Stephen, a lot of like cognitive incentive. Like it gives like a, like a habit of thinking, like it can become a lens through which you just view everything, which can be very comforting. So yeah, yeah, maybe there's just been like a lot of things that I've like found no personal incentive in. Yeah. After right. a while. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think 
just being introduced to alternative views of hell, it was like, I mean, talk about an incentive, right? Like the ultimate Pascal's wager, <laughs> like believe all these things and you don't go to hell or, but what if hell isn't what you think it is? And then that is like what, that was like the first domino knocked over for me, I guess. It really is like that meme, like with the little domino yeah. going all the way up to the big domino. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but another way to look at it for the people who are afraid for me now is it, it's the dominoes <laughs> meme. It's also a slippery slope. <laughs> right. Right. You know, like, and that's, I still find that fascinating is like two people can look, I mean, you guys can have a relationship with me in here that I don't believe in hell. and you're like, okay, probably not me neither. Or like, that's fine. We can disagree. Other people look at me and people like me who don't believe in hell or in their hell. And they're like legitimately full of, I don't know, is it like righteous indignation? Are they actually afraid for me? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know what that is, but we can approach these things in this, in two completely different ways, according to our thought habits. and get two very, very different emotional experiences out of it. Emily, what do you think about the domino effect or the slippery slope that is mm. changing your mind? Mm -hmm. And or I'd love to hear what like has been pivotal for you in changing your mind about theology or oh, for learning sure. and growing. I like how with, especially with the domino, well, actually the slippery slope too, I guess more so with the domino one, I like how <laughs> we just assume that there's nothing to stop the domino, like that there's something that ultimately can't be tipped over. And also, I like how we automatically think that it's a bad thing. We're just so prone to having this ideal that you need to be consistent and you need to be firm in your faith. And that means you can't be grappled. It can't be sh like shooken. And if it is, then there's so much fault put on the person <laughs> that like my heart just kind of breaks because it doesn't make you less than, you know, having a change of mind or a change of heart doesn't make you any less of an individual. But for some reason we have, I think there's very deep in the back of our minds, this idea that if we do change, if we do have something that's stirred within us and we start to go a different way, then we are going to be less than. And there's shame in that. And as a pastor, like <laughs> my goal is to ensure that you do not feel ashamed. You do not feel guilty because you're having a change. Like mm. Jesus had a change of heart, <laughs> you know, even dogs get the scraps from the table. And Jesus is like, you're absolutely right. <laughs> like, <laughs> If Jesus can even have a change of heart and have a, this new sense of realization, then so can we. It doesn't make Jesus any less Jesus. It doesn't make Stephen or Josh or me any less than. And with my faith journey, if anything, all the shifts and changes that I've had have reinforced my faith. It hasn't made it weaker. It hasn't made it less than. It's actually made it stronger. And it's allowed me to make sense with the divine rather than making sense of the divine. Mm. It's pushed me to actually be more relational in my theology rather than just 
sitting on the sidelines and watching it go by. Like, (laughs) it's not always intellectual. It's more relational and experiential. And Mm. that change would not have like if if that change in my life hadn't have happened, my theology would not look the way it does today. And I probably wouldn't have even like gone to seminary and like I wouldn't have gone through the ordination process. Like who knows where I would be if I didn't have my faith shaken a bit. Mm. I like your uh, callback to Jesus and the Samaritan woman. I I guess I've never like heard anybody mention that passage as Jesus changing his mind, but I guess I could see it. That's kind of interesting. Why is it, do you think that, at least this has been my experience, that a lot of the theological lines that people become so absolute in like being unmovable on are often very abstract concepts. Like it's never (laughs) like concepts of like, how should we serve soup at the shelter? (laughs) Like it's never like, I don't know. I guess sometimes it is like, like frivolousy, like church policy things or like how the church is spending its money. But I feel like more often than not, it's like very abstract theological concepts like hell or the Trinity or like nobody really debates the Trinity anymore, but you know what I mean? Like, I just think it's really fascinating that people do often feel very threatened. And Emily, I really liked your point about um, like trying to help people feel safe in that because I think that I have had a lot of hesitancy in expressing to people that I'm close with or that I've been in community with that my view has changed on something. Mm. And I think part of that is due to the fact that I used to be so dogmatic and I like I just totally saw like how fruitless it was to like just constantly argue for my own position. (laughs) And like I look back on that very in a lot of cringe. (laughs) Mm. And so I think that like part of me not being as readily available with how my mind has changed is partly like a self reaction. But I think it's also because like it's really hard to find that like safety and openness with people or like knowing like where people are at with not demonizing you for changing your mind about something mm-hmm. or for having a different perspective than them. Yeah. I wonder if a lot of the fear that happens around our changing minds is all of a sudden starting to feel like you might be becoming the outsider to the group that you've previously found a lot of safety and comfort in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's also guilt in reverse too. Like for me, Hmm. I sometimes feel guilty in my cringe looking back on the way I used to argue for certain perspectives. Like I do not feel good about that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, or like I was, I was messaging someone that I went to church camp with years ago and uh, we started messaging about uh, like where we're at with religion and church these days. And she had this line that just like got me. She was like, I feel like my life has been a lie. And like, I think a lot of people do end up feeling like that. But in my opinion, it's because of the false dichotomy that the church and theology often puts up when they're like, it's this or it's nothing. And like, Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to do that in reverse too, like feel guilty for having believed something or that you argued for something that now you definitely do not (laughs) argue for. 
Oh yeah. Um, right. I think it's I think it's really hard to like have the like self graciousness in like changing your thought patterns. I really appreciate that because I think for me it brings up the idea or the feeling that can your mind really been like be changed? So like for instance, I don't remember who it was and I don't even remember which presidential election. Um, but you always find people who will bring up things that so-and-so said 25 years ago, and it was a very strong opinion on a stance, and now that person no longer holds that stance. And they use that as ammo to yes. stir people from not voting for that person, right? Yeah. And it's either A, a bad thing that they flip-flopped, or B, can you really trust this person if they don't have a firm stance? Like, oh, it's fascinating. This person had this opinion, and now they don't. Is this someone you can really trust? And that scares me. Especially when it comes to mm. faith and what we believe in, <laughs> like, you know. Uh, okay. You know what's fu- you know what's so funny about that is like you're totally right, Emily. That the Bible is filled with like people outcrying to God for God to change their mind and their heart. Yeah. Like yeah. creating me a clean heart, or uh, oh my gosh, what is the what is the part where Paul is talking about? Uh, we've been given the mind of Christ. Like I cannot tell you yeah. how many people I've heard teach about in a prophetic way that like. No, we've been given the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ. Like our mind is renewed. Like our thoughts are different. We should assume well, that our thoughts are God's thoughts. Like there is a lot of theology around that. But what, then when it comes to like changing your mind about something, it's often literally demonized. There's, you know, the scripture with Peter and the cloth descending with all the hooved animals and the birds yeah. and, the, you know, don't call clean profane you know i've made this clean don't call it profane and don't have any distinction between you and these other guys over here yeah we just uh, hmm (laughs) we have a hard time with that you know isn't that funny that like back then that was probably super controversial to a lot of the jewish community that was following jesus Mm -hmm. and like now we don't even think twice about it like it's not even a blip on most people's radar except seventh day adventist but like most people like, don't even think about that. No. Huh. What if, okay, I'm thinking about this idea of not liking flip-floppers because they're somehow, like, yeah, it's that consistency that we're, we're possibly making an idol. And mm. I, I wonder if that is at all informed by theology of, like, God's immutability. Like, well, God never changes, so... If you're going to be like God, you should be, you should find out what God's heart, quote unquote, is for that thing and then never change. And that is what it looks like to be more like God is like, I think that's, that's certainly how I used to behave. Josh, I think I I resonate pretty well with the way you talk about like the, the cringe of our past behaviors, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I, I think I used to think if God is never changing and thereby is absolute, then it must be possible by the way we have the revelation of God through scripture or through prayer or whatever to like discover that absolute in its close to purest form. And if we can discover that revelation of the immutable and unchanging God, then I can feel the certainty of having arrived at the absolute of the universe. And now I'm in a place where like, Okay, well, now I feel safe because uh, this is, you know, this is just another building block. And I finally arrived at this place. 
And then we get mad at other people when they change their mind because you are convinced by that form of like certainty and immutability of those kind of like theological absolutes. Mm. Is that tracking? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know what's funny about the like I'm thinking of like the immovable mover. I think that was Aristotle. Yeah. Um, or I feel like Emily was hinting at that with the domino thing earlier when she was like, we act like there's a big domino that can't be knocked down. And I think a lot of people do like view it that way that mm-hmm. like the a God cannot be knocked down or moved that God is ultimate truth, but also b knocking down the other dominoes that aren't God is somehow a threat to God, which like Ooh. to me seems contradictory but maybe i'm oversimplifying (laughs) (laughs) but like i think what's funny about like just the argument that like no there's like god is ultimate truth and like that's why we can be like so certain about all of this but like that's not the we don't like make a religion out of math because math is ultimately true (laughs) like you don't you can't argue Uh. with the numbers you can argue about science but like when it comes to the numbers and obviously i'm not a high mathematician i don't i don't with math outside of I like I don't go past the what what are they called? Not the invisible numbers. Imaginary numbers. Imaginary <laughs> like numbers. I barely know what that is. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> but like like I feel like a lot of uh a lot of people who bring theology back to like the truth rhetoric often like put in like a math analogy in there, like, well, two plus two equals four, and you can't argue with that. And then they act like theology about God is the exact same thing as math. Mm-hmm. But like, Stephen, I like your point that it's like I, I feel like what you're getting at is like theology fundamentally is thought patterns yeah yeah and i feel like it's just like so good to remember that (laughs) we just want to say how honored we are that you listen to ravel seriously there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, Don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, No Normal People. Eventually want to finish it or like do it again. But uh, she talks so much about like the ways in which the creator, which is just like some spirit or whatever force bigger than us. And I I view that as like the human drive to create. Where it's like, I think that is the most human thing we do. I think there are two very, very, three very human things we do. Create, 
laugh and cry. And almost no other animal does those things. Like they all feel fear, they all play, they all survive, they all kind of like have some aspect of like care mm. for one another. Mm. We, you know, we feel that as love, but like we create, we laugh and we cry. Whoa, that's insane that we have the ability to do that. And I think that that drive exists in every single person to some level or another. And I feel it vibrating my bones where it's like, if I don't feel like I was being created. Have you ever bought a bag of coffee from the grocery store and wished it wasn't roasted like a month in the past? Steven, I literally play a game. I literally do this where I go to a grocery store and I play how old is the oldest bean I can find that's roasted. So here's the thing with the high line blend made by our friends at Revel Coffee, Every bag that you order is specially roasted for you the day the order is submitted, and it is shipped to your door within a few days. So it is fresh roasted, literally the best quality you could get. Emily, how do you make coffee at home? I do not make coffee at home, oh. so I'm very excited to try this, but I know some of you probably already drink coffee. You might as well drink coffee that's from the one of the best roasters ever, and it supports one of your favorite podcasts. Order the Highline Blend now on our merch store, highline.network slash shop. I've been thinking of in terms of like water a lot lately. I think it was inspired by one of my more recent episodes of No Normal People with my friend Rach who talks about creativity in the terms of like water, right? Like we are like entering a flow of creativity. Sometimes it's a trickle. Sometimes it's a massive wave, right? And you can ride that wave or you can just like hold on to a trickle for a while if you're not feeling all that inspired. But also like a rush of water, like six inches deep can knock you off your feet, like knock you flat with the amount of force that water flows with. and like. In terms of thought habits, I think this is also an idea that Henry David Thoreau writes about in Walden, but of like these habits we find ourselves in is like the way water can carve a canyon over time. Mm. And to me, I think there are, there are ways of thinking, not even specific thoughts, but like almost like a metaphysical like mode of thinking that I'm beginning to find myself in habits of and that for brief glimpses whenever the water surges and I'm able to like come to the top of a canyon again and see just how big the world is and there's like oh there's other canyons over there or there's plateaus over there like that it's exciting to me honestly I think just like being introduced to new ideas I don't know what that represents yeah yeah I don't I don't know what that means for us or what are you know what just popped into my head while you were giving that beautiful thought process steven sure don't go chasing waterfalls (laughs) just stick to the rivers (laughs) and the lakes that you're used that's a great point though like yes we know what that song is about but really like the things that are comfortable the things that you're used to the things that are habitual and a pattern that is very deeply ingrained like Stick to that. You yeah. don't want to change, but really it's like we should. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> like, I I even think of the way like when we first started Ravel, like I was in a very like holding on to the term of like post-Christian and I, I was feeling pretty edgy about that. And then a few months in, I was like, 
you guys, I'm kind of fascinated by everything Catholic right now, and I don't know what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> and neither yeah, do you yeah. guys. But that that is, I think, a, a great example of maybe I'm not addicted to it, but I really like that feeling of just like being introduced to those new ideas and having a chance to sit with them and having a chance to be fascinated by them or reject them or accept them, you know, mm, like mm-hmm. that, those, I look back on those periods of my life and I'm like, man, that's when I feel, I think honestly, most connected to God is kind of when I'm flowing with those mm. new paths for the water to go, you know, now, now I'm thinking of like, mm-hmm. In Genesis, the way it's talked about, like the spirit hovers over the water, right? And that water represents chaos in that sense, but also that the spirit hovers over those waters is kind of a comfort thing too, is like the spirit is there also. And why wouldn't I chase that? Why wouldn't I try and follow that? You know what's fascinating? What? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think a lot of Christians love the idea of like new life rebirth, resurrection, but that all requires change. Like the word new kind of gives that away. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Um, And I think like for me and performing baptisms where whether they're an infant or an adult or any one in between and they, you know, are claiming in this new identity and they have this like new, like new part of their journey that they are embarking on like that. That is a change because you're doing something different. You're doing something new. You weren't you weren't baptized before. Like if you made the decision, I want to be baptized, that's a change. And I think if we're comfortable with those, if we're comfortable with, you know, having welcoming new members and hearing people saying that they're accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior or whatever the case may be, like if you're comfortable with that change, you should be comfortable with people letting go harmful theology. Like, I don't think Josh chose to have those things no longer be incentive. They just weren't. And so he then yep. made a choice and was like, I'm done with this. And it's something new. Like, he's never not done that before. So it was something brand new. It was something that he had a change of mind, a change of heart. And why people would look at that as a bad thing breaks my heart. Uh, but if we but if it was the opposite, if it was someone coming into this very full identity as a Christian and trying to do all these new things, we are totally on board with that. Yeah. Well, so welcoming someone in is satisfying to the thought habits or, you know, canyons or I mean, bias is also the word there. Right. Is like welcome, welcoming someone in and celebrating someone like saying they're a Christian now or being baptized is confirming your bias. Whereas someone walking away from it is like, well, well, hold on. I thought we were on the same team though. Like, <laughs> you know, that's also a threatening thing is like, oh, we used to have all this common ground. And so that's the thing is even among the three of us, like, I think there's a lot of uh, diversity in our opinions, in our theology, but I think our relationship is built on something else mm-hmm. that certainly it started by having these kind of conversations. So it's not like we're threatened by anything we can have in these these conversations, I wouldn't think. But it's that something else that we can find common ground in and, you know, not be threatened when, you know, I'm going to continue to be a friend to a person who left my church. And what does that look like? Because, you know, I, I think we've all experienced that, you know, you change a job or 
change a school or change a church and your entire social circle shifts with it because that place was where you had all the connections, right? And that's if it was built there and facilitated there, then it it can be hard to like hold on to a relationship that it was like more out of convenience. I don't know. Just by proximity, I guess. <laughs> Do you think there are bad habits in Christianity? Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> Joshua did not hesitate. 100%. So what would, name one. Uh, lack of financial transparency or uh, abuse of members or theology that is argued for in an abstract sense, but has like real world practical implications that cause very real harm. I think there's tons of bad habits. <laughs> I guess if we're talking about like the church in generally. Do you think there are good habits? Oh, totally. Yeah, lots of good habits. Okay, like what? Um, like, I want to see if your list is equal or longer. Uh, the, the ritual <laughs> of getting together once a week uh, with a consistent group of people building social bonds. Incredibly valuable. Or like the, the social network of, like the, the networks that are built on common belief or common practice. Incredible. I was going to um, say the sacraments. The, the what? Sacraments. Yeah, sure. Sacraments. I think that that one like seems less obvious to people as a valuable good habit, but totally is. Yeah. I think it's hard for people to, I don't get why. I think it, it is really hard for people to admit that there are both almost mm-hmm. like, I think mm-hmm. that it's really easy for people to put the blinders on and be like, yeah, it's all good. Nothing bad here. Like God is just gracious and like making us better every day. But like, how could God be making you better every day if there's not something terrible happening? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're acting like there's no change when you're saying there's change. And then I think it's also really easy to be cynical as well and just act like it's all negative and that there is zero good that comes from it and that it mm-hmm. is at the very least net negative. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's really, really difficult to be nuanced and be like, well, there is both good and evil here. Mm. And I also think it's hard for people to do that on the individual level, like especially when it comes to like mm. changing your mind and evaluating what you believe or what you don't believe or what you don't believe as much, but like it's not as much of an emphasis for you anymore. I think it's difficult for people to like investigate the nuance of what it means to believe something. I also think I keep thinking about the concept of repentance now throughout this conversation. And I feel like I've heard people preach about um, that repentance means replacement. And I don't even remember where I've heard that before, but I've totally heard someone say that before. But I don't think that's necessarily true. Like, I think that that can be useful if we're talking about like habit change or like, I will just forever bring it up, I guess. AA is a great example of getting someone to change their habits. And it is definitely on the basis of you need to replace it with something. And it works. It works for a lot of people. It also doesn't work for some people, but it's totally on the basis of like, to change from habit A, you must build habit B. But I also don't think that that is always true, especially for something like theology. Like I think you can just, I I think for a lot of things, you cannot believe belief A anymore and you don't necessarily need to build belief B to replace belief A. Like disbelief in something does not necessarily mean belief in another thing. But don't you feel incomplete? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
No. <laughs> Thank you, Josh. Thank that you. was the correct answer. <laughs> I also don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> well, good. 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 What is something, I don't think this is a simple answer for any of us, but what is something that you could say you changed your mind on recently? Oh, that's a good oh. one. In some ways, it feels like a really weird question because like I, I think about uh, like the process it has taken for me to change my mind on some beliefs. And I don't know, I don't know if there is like necessarily a moment you can point to other than like, I guess, telling a story about how it happened, because that represents a lot of the time that is sometimes mm-hmm. involved. Because it, it, a lot of it, it's not necessarily like you flip a switch and I was like, oh, right. now my mind has changed. Yeah, that's how I feel too. I think that a lot of mine has been very gradual. Yeah. So I guess a, a better way to ask my question is, can you think of something that you almost have like just woken up to the fact that your mind has changed on it over a process? That's a really hard question, even for myself. That is the, a really hard question. Yeah, the fact that I don't have one off the top of my head makes me feel challenged that I'm not changing my mind enough. Mm. You know, like, like I definitely have come to a place where I value changing my mind and learning and like I feel challenged to not fall into the pattern of I have it all figured out. Like, I definitely, I, I just like keep repeating this, I guess, but I definitely believe <laughs> that like we should never assume that our beliefs are 100% correct because like if we're going to believe in God and we're going to believe that our beliefs are 100% correct then like that would make us God. Like we could never hmm. we should never assume that we have it all figured out and that there's no room for yeah error or improvement or oh. learning more. Yeah. And like the fact that I like cannot think of something recently <laughs> that I feel like I've learned more about at least that it's like shifted my opinion on or like brought new light to something like kind of makes me feel a little challenged, honestly. Yeah. Do you think God has any causality in the way our mind changes? <laughs> like, okay, maybe, maybe on the negative example, cause I was thinking about this uh, earlier, Josh, when you were speaking, but when you read the story of the Exodus and the way the writer oh, yeah. says like, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Like Pharaoh had said, yes, I will release you. And then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then he didn't multiple times. And the way that's written, it seems like someone believes that God actually has some causality mm-hmm. inside of Pharaoh's mind. I'm going to say it's a both and. Like, I think that lots of Christians do believe that. And I also think a lot of Christians like theologize about God having a hand in something without like necessarily believing or conceptualizing of that causality. If that makes sense. I'm trying to think of a good example. Like I think that some Christians do use that in terms of uh, like replacing a theology that they now believe is harmful with a new theology that they now see as more life-giving. Like I think that it's very common in those circumstances for people to look at that and be like, well, like I believe like God has somehow like opened my eyes to this new way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Even if I like can't understand it versus like someone who feels a lot more certain that like, no, God called me in my total depravity uh, to be the elect. And I had no 
Ooh. option to resist that grace. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like I think there's like different concepts of that causality in theologizing. I'm not sure if I believe that though. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm also not opposed to it. If that makes sense, like, especially because, like, I don't feel like I can explain how my beliefs have changed. Like, I guess it could be God. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't know how to prove that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, I could say it's God, but that doesn't mean it was. <laughs> but also, me not admitting it was not God doesn't mean it couldn't be God. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. You just, you just twisted yourself in a knot just now. Uh, yeah. That was fun. That was good. I do think it's a really interesting question, though. I think it's especially relevant because so many people do argue for God's ultimate causality in terms of our experience, what we believe, mm, yeah, how we right. theologize, physical outcomes. And personally, I think that that paints a very different picture of reality and belief than other views with more flexibility. Yeah. Mm, so, yeah. Uh, Stephen, I've, I've been like ruminating on your question about um, like what's something you've changed your mind about. And um, one that has been floating around in my head recently that I haven't really put words to that is probably just going to become its own episode is like the concept of evangelism and changing ah. people's minds. And like, I still think that there is a part of me that like feels compelled to change people's minds, but then like wrestling with that uh, in light of the problems that I see with evangelistic culture and not just, not just like American evangelicalism at large, which I do think has plenty of problems, but like evangelist culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. How do I wrestle with that? <laughs> like, even if I don't think I have all of the eggs in the basket figured out, like if I think that I've come to like a more life-giving view than one that I used to have, like how do I expose people I know to the ideas that I feel like I've been exposed to without the presumption that they are going to follow down the same path and without like putting myself on a pedestal that like has this sense of superiority and I don't know. So yeah, I haven't really like, arrived on like a solid stance but i've definitely been thinking about it yeah so stay tuned we'll definitely stay tuned for that one i have a final question if you guys don't have one sure um i would love to know what has been comforting to you or to people around you when it comes to you realizing that you have changed your mind about something or you are starting to see something differently? Uh, like what has made them comfortable to say it or? Yeah. Like what's maybe like what has been helpful for you or like maybe grounding? Because I think that like belief shift can often feel like you're on sinking sand or like you're the man who built his house in the wrong spot. Yeah. And I think it also feels that way to other people too when they find out that you are shifting on something. So I would, I'd love to hear what has been like comforting or grounding in those moments. Huh? I think if I'm, I still feel like I'm kind of struggling with what you're asking, but I think if I'm interpreting this correctly, I think what has worked for folks in my life is just, it kind of goes back to what I was saying of like 
our relationship was built on something else, I guess, that wasn't, that doesn't necessarily require that we always talk about the things on which we're now changing our minds. I don't know. Um, like for me, an example, I guess, is like family members who experience like faith shift, like they're family. So of course we're going to stay in relationship. We're not going to like ostracize each other for different. I mean, some families do that too, but like, thankfully my family is not in that mode or those kind of people. Yeah. I guess, I guess my generic answer, Josh is like, we still, there's still like a relationship of like love and acceptance between us. I really don't know if I'm answering your question, though. No, I like that. I think that 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 feels very true to me as well. Like, I think it can be hard for me sometimes to not want to change the minds of some of my friends instead of letting my focal point be like our friendship that is good and is supportive, even though we disagree about things. Yeah, right. I think another thing that's been like a comfort point for me in a lot of my belief shift has been like me feeling like I'm still tethered to Jesus somehow. Mm, like, even though yeah. I think that that has gone through some shifting as well in terms of like what I think that means in everyday life. But I think that like me feeling like, Oh man, I don't even know how to word this. <laughs> because Like I almost like worded it as like, like finding a more accurate representation of what it means to follow Jesus. But even that sounds super churchy and like, uh, what's wrong with that? <laughs> I, I guess you're right. There's nothing like wrong with it, but like, come on, man. I don't know. I guess it assumes that like there is like a certain correct way to belief. And I'm not convinced of that, but I, it's like it, somehow still, I think Jesus has like been an anchor for me as a person, even if like, that relationship has gone through change as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you, Emily? Like, what, what comfort have you found in belief shift or other people? I am just full of song lyrics today. I'm thinking of from Taylor Swift's song, Happiness. There's okay. a part in there where she says, there was happiness because of you and there will be happiness after you. Both of these can be true. And I think for me, realizing in that moment there was something life-giving. And now after the fact, I found something else that's life-giving. Like both of those things can be true. Mm. And to know that change can, you make change what you want it to be. If, if you want change to be good, you're going to ensure then that it is good. <laughs> like if change is bad and you're scared of it, you're not going to, you're going to try and do everything you can to ensure that you don't change. And I have welcomed the opportunity to change because as a pastor, I need to change. Like I have to be Mm. open and versatile to my congregants and to other pastors and every appointment that I'm going to have hereafter. Like there was happiness in my theology that I had then. And there's happiness in the theology that I have now. And both of those things can be true. Yeah. You know, I really like that point. We haven't really talked about like the emotional connection to thought patterns in this entire episode, but like, I think that it can be really valuable to ask like <laughs> in like a very psychological way like how does that theology make you feel? Like when you think about what you believe, what does it make you feel? Mm. And I think like on the other side of belief shift, I think there can also be 
a lot of grief as well. Like even if you know you don't believe something anymore, I think that there's often like a lot of mixed emotions in not believing something. Right. And I think that can be very like I a, a couple years ago, I feel like I was going through some pretty um uh, some pretty significant grief and um one of my friends like just randomly like almost as a joke like turned me onto this podcast called Secular Buddhism. Like he seriously like suggested it to me as a joke. He just like looked for weird podcast names. Uh, but then I started to listen to it and like found it pretty helpful. <laughs> and um, like I, I wouldn't call myself a Buddhist by any means. Uh, but one of the things I found super helpful and very thought provoking was just like the mindful act of noticing your thoughts as your thoughts. And that sometimes it can just be very helpful to acknowledge like, oh, I thought that thing. That was a thought that I had. Here's how it makes me feel. I can just acknowledge that and go from there. Hmm. And I think it's very relevant to like, theology and like thought patterns hmm. there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be a fun future episode too. Man, you're full of them here at the end, Josh. <laughs> All the hot takes at the end. Well done. Well, uh, thanks for, pardon the pun, but thanks for thinking about this with me. Um, <laughs> is that a pun? I don't even know. Whatever. It- I like it. I it's Emily, meta at the very least. Nice. Emily yeah. likes it. Uh, yeah, I wow. approve. That's great. Well, thanks for thinking about this. I also wanted to thank our two newest patron oh, yeah. friends who are in the Discord now. Our friend Sarah just recently joined, and we missed a couple episodes ago. Uh, we missed the timing of it, but so we're we're getting our Canadian friend Christina in on the Patreon as well this week with the shout out so thanks you guys welcome you two to the group it's been a delight to meet you in the discord and already get those conversations started so thanks for buying the drinks this week also if you have uh more thoughts about our patterns here on the show uh please leave us a review uh we are approaching episode 100 and we're trying to ramp those up in celebration Mm -hmm. so thank you Additionally, for the rest of this month, we are keeping the GoFundMe open for our patron member, Courtney Clark. Which, by the way, is already a third of the way funded. Wow. So, cheers to that. Keep it up. Keep it up. Look at these micro communities going and supporting people. What a beautiful... (laughs) Ayo. Beautiful. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, link to that GoFundMe and some, uh, some writing about what she suffers from, one of her like vascular what what's the right word for it uh it's vascular compression vascular compression yes thank you yeah we have some language in there just trying to honor courtney's wishes to kind of just like spread awareness for what she is currently suffering from and going through surgeries for and we're just trying to raise a little money to help pay for a date night here or there or a nice massage to help her relax and find some comfort amidst healing from some pretty hardcore surgeries so link for that will be in the show notes as i said Emily, can you end our time with a word of prayer? I'm just kidding. You can do whatever you want. Oh my wow. gosh. Fart. I love it when people say the phrase word of prayer. I think it's so cheesy. I love it. It's like a good old slice of Swiss. No. Um, <laughs> you know, in all this thinking, it made me think of John Wesley. In the moment where his heart was strangely warmed, us Methodists hold on to that phrase dearly, but I think it applies to everyone who is going through a change. Whether your heart is warmed or you have this new sense, a new realization, you repent, right? Your mind has been changed. It can be daunting and it can be confusing. And at times it can be kind of isolating. 
But luckily, we have a community that is built on empowering and understanding. And we are called to be witnesses of change and witnesses of what it means to be change. And welcome to No Normal People. This is a show where we prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. You know how there's like famous people in the world that are known very well and how they go on podcasts? Yeah. Well, we don't do marketable that. Marketable names and yeah, audience. Buzzwords, and, buzz yeah, names. Social following. Yeah. And, John yeah. Buzz. And, well, we interview people like your Uncle Terry, who collects model trains. Because he's normal. We'll even interview you, even if you don't have the cool trains that your uncle has. You can email us at nopeoplepod at gmail.com or visit our show page on www.highline.network to sign up to be on the show. And remember, the only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Highline Media Network. Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.